It is early January yet. Have you busted all your resolutions already or are they still intact? You know, one of my concerns, we make resolutions on a regular basis. I'm kind of a a goal guy. Uh, But I'm thinking at the end of, of 2019, will we be looking back going, wow, you know, we had all these great goals spiritually and we're gonna, we're gonna move forward and yeah, but boy, time got away from us. Well, what happened? Well, maybe next year. We've been saying that for years though. And so the goal is we started the series last week, beginning of 2019, right? Uh, called the plan. We're looking to see how we might develop some sort of plan for actually spiritual advancement. My guess is none of us in here would say, well, I really don't care if I grow or not. The reason why we're here, right? And it should show, it demonstrates that we're interested in growing spiritually. We we recognize that it's not an issue of want to. It's not an issue of, of resources in this world right now. It's usually because we haven't planned to grow. We just kind of hope that it happens. Well, hope is kind of a lousy strategy. You know, a, a, a goal without a plan is a wish. And we want to make sure as we move into 2019 that at the end of it, again, the time has become our friend, not our enemy. And at the end of 2019, we have matured spiritually. We have advanced spiritually. We see him maybe more for who he is than we do now. We're closer to him with less of us and more of Jesus. So that's, that's the goal. That's, that's the desire. We want to, we want to plan. And we came out last week. We started this. If you weren't here last week, I would get the, you can go down to our website and download the uh, podcast or whatever. But First uh, Timothy 4, 7 and 8 is kind of the text we started with last week. It says, Paul says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. See, that's our, that's our goal. Godliness, right? And I know we think, well, I don't know if that's my goal. That sounds kind of uh, boring and lots of church activity and I'm already exhausted and not a lot of funness in that word. And those have nothing to do with, with godliness. The whole idea of godliness is simply getting to know him better. You know, I love the uh, Chronicles of Narnia book. It's called, uh, in, the, in the Chronicles, Prince Caspian. If you know about the Chronicles, what happens is uh, each book is like a different adventure. And you've got these kids, the Pevensies, and they get into Narnia. Narnia is this magical place, and they meet Aslan, who's the Christ figure. And then at the end of the book, they get back into their real world until the next book starts, and they get back into Narnia. Well, they get back into Narnia and Prince Caspian. And the, 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 the child who has the most spiritual sensitivity, this is Lucy, she starts looking for Aslan. But, you know, you don't just decide Aslan's going to show up. Aslan shows up when he wants to. But one point she starts sensing that he's here. So she kind of goes off on her own. And she goes out in this field. And there's this huge lion. It's just huge lion. Uh, so much bigger than she remembered. And so she said this. She said, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's what godliness is. That's the goal, our quest to get to know him more, to see him more for who he is. My guess is, if he's infinite in holiness, and and as we would see more of that, we would become 
more empty of ourselves, more uh, worship. So that, that, that's the goal, the godliness. Now, the, how we get there, the train yourself, we kind of just hope God will do that for us. Like, we don't hope that he gives us a paycheck at the end of the week. We, we want that, but we, need, we know we need to do something as well. And so Paul says, train yourself for godliness. He says other people, they train themselves for all kinds of other things. Maybe we do. We're trying to become skilled in something. We've got a hobby going on, a work thing. And we're, we're working on our health. Good, good. Paul's not dissing it. He just says, there's something else that's more significant that you need to plan for that's greater than those things. And that's uh, godliness is what he's, he's pointing to. Now, last week, we, one of the things we were asking is we started asking, what needs to be a part of that plan? And there might be several elements that need to be a part of that plan. And one that we talked about last week was the need to weed. Remember this? We get, weed the garden. We've got, we got the garden of our soul, and weeds come up. Maybe we planted them. Maybe someone else planted them. Maybe just because we live in fallen soil, the weeds pop up. And we have to be committed to going in and weeding the garden regularly. Getting rid of the stuff that we need to get rid of. So he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. The irreverent are things that work against my godliness. They are toxic things that, that have part of my life that I need to let go of. Silly are those things that aren't necessarily going to hurt it, but they're not going to help it either. They're just time wasters. Paul says, monitor those things. Monitor those, those. Psalm 1, you get this concept all over scripture. Psalm 1 says the same sort of thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. He's, the, the blessing comes when you decide to not, when you weed the garden. I've got a, if I can change analogies for a second. I've got a dining room table. Y'all have dining room tables? You know, yes, you're already laughing. You know how this goes. They become a depository of junk, don't they? We don't plan for them to happen. But every time someone walks by, junk mail, or those shoes that I got to take to Goodwill, or the books that go back to the library, or I can't hang up my coat because I don't have the strength right now, it goes on, and the table just piles up with stuff. I don't have to have a plan to to put junk all over my table. It just happens. But I have to have a plan to get rid of it, right? And so that's with this weed, the garden. There's a need to weed. If you got toxic stuff in, uh, growth doesn't happen. So that's got to be that's got to be gone. Uh, there's a second uh, need, though, that we want to address this morning, and it's related right here in Psalm one. There is a need to weed, but there is a need to feed, right? A need to feed, but his delight. Is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we gotta weed the garden, but you can't just leave it as a vacuum. You know what happens with a vacuum, everything kind of gets sucked into it. You gotta replace that, and the way you would replace that, what you replace it with, is with the word, the word of God. So we would be, we want to, focus on that and look at that a little bit this morning what it means because i have this feeling that the the biggest issue with this is we don't understand how significant this is uh john 21 this is this is fascinating to me in john 21 says this is jesus getting ready to leave right he's getting ready to cut out this is his last encounter with peter to my knowledge 
uh, he's one-on-one. Now, there's some other guys around, but he's talking directly with Peter. It's the last time one-on-one. Jesus, you'd think what he's got to say is pretty important. He's giving last commands to Peter. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. I've got a handful of scholars who say that that tend word, the inference is feed. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You think he's trying to get this across to this guy? I don't think that Jesus is going to give a secondary optional sort of, of projects to Peter at this point. The most important thing. Peter, the number one thing that my people need is they, they, they have a need to feed. Peter, you have got this same. And I want you to feed them. I want you to feed yourself. Jesus putting a lot of influence or em- emphasis on this idea. So, so uh, God's word need to, need, need to feed. Okay, let's take a moment to just look at a pretty familiar passage. Uh, we're going to camp on it just a few moments but here's our goal our goal is for in our own heart to recognize afresh or new this this need we have to feed so if you got your bibles if you turn to psalm 19 psalm 19 now while you while you're turning if I was to mention this morning, if you will give me your Bible, this is all hypothetical, right? So don't hold me to this. But if I was to mention, if you give me your Bible, you trade me your Bible, I will give you 10 million bucks, $10 million. Now, right away, some of you are thinking, oh, this was a bad morning to forget my Bible, right? You were thinking, man, this is, you can't steal the pew Bible or your neighbor's Bible. You can't give me your phone with the Bible. App. Okay, But if you, if you could, and you're thinking about this, $10 million, man, that's, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be helpful. Uh, $10 million, you could, you could email your boss this afternoon, couldn't you? And say, you know what? I am out of here, man. Yeah, no more slave driving. You know, I am, I am finished with this. Uh, no more office drama and cutthroat ways. No more, no traveling and being away from the kids when they're on their birthdays or special events and none of that stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. And ten million dollars. That would, that would solve a lot of financial stress, wouldn't it? You know, no more get the bill in the mail. And you're going, oh no, the tax bill is due again. I don't have this. Or the car, you ping it in and they look at it and they say, yeah, this little part is going to cost $1,000. You're going, oh no, I don't have this. So you start thinking about your, your kids going to college. <laughs> or your aging parents. How are you going to take care of them financially? Oh my goodness, I don't know. Or yourself, health care for the future. Don't know how that's going to happen. $10 million. That'd be nice. Now before you trade your Bible... You got to know what I what I mean by that. I don't just mean give me your Bible. I mean all access to the Bible for the rest of your life. So we're we're saying you can never again read a Bible or read a scripture verse or read a book about the Bible ever. You can never again listen to a, a message or hear a podcast where they they talk about the Bible. You can never again listen to music where where the scripture is their inferences are there or principles are related. You can never do that. No scripture, no Bible for the rest of your life 
ever done 10 million bucks. Well, there'd be still, there'd be some people, right? Who'd be lining up saying, hey man, I'll, $10 million. You know, I'll deal with that other stuff when I get to heaven. Let's just give me that 10 million. Uh, there'll be some folk who would hesitate. They might say, oh, oh why do you make this so difficult? Uh, no. Not, they don't, they just, they're saying no because they grew up in the church. You're supposed to say no. Oh, no. There'll be other people though, right? Who would say, Great confidence, they wouldn't hesitate at all. <laughs> I don't care how many zeros you put at the end of that number. Forget it. No way. And initially, we might say, well, these folk are deranged. They're deranged like, like uh, John Wycliffe was deranged. Where, where Wycliffe spent the end of his life separated from everything that he loved because his desire was to put the word of God into the language of the people. Uh, deranged like uh, William Tyndall, who was a fugitive throughout uh, Europe, who was eventually caught and, and killed because only because he desired to put the Bible into the language of people. Martin Luther, who could only translate the Bible into German, the language of his people, after he was hiding out for a while. They're deranged like the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of youth and men and women over the pages of church history who were imprisoned and tortured and killed because they'd rather take that than no Bible. These guys were, were, were deranged, right? Or, or they understood something that maybe with the preponderance of Bible and Bible apps and script that we have available, and I, I would not trade that for anything, but familiarity can breed contempt, right? We've forgotten that. And so what we want to do is just look for just a second. Psalm 19. And, and it, let me tell you a little bit on Psalm 19. Verses 1 through 6, fascinating. It's a fascinating chapter. 1 through 6, he's talking about uh, what the theologians call general revelation. It's, it's, it's creation. It's uh, the stars. Universe, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, talking about nature. He says, their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Uh, says that the, that the heavens, they tell us something about God. He's creative, he's big, he's vast, wow. They tell us something about him. Um, Romans 1 will let us know that because of creation, whose voice has gone out to all the world, there are no people anywhere who uh, can say, I, di- I didn't know. Now, God has left the witness for himself in this world. But, but then the psalmist in verse 7 says, yeah, but that's not enough. He, he, verse 7, he says, the law... Of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He goes down, and for the next six verses, he's going to talk to us about special revelation. General revelation, the world. And now he's going to special revelation, the word of God. Okay, so he's comparing the two. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Well, I first see the word law. I go, God, it's got a, a PR problem. You know, the law is just law. Law. Law is after you. It's just it's got a punitive, negative I need a loophole. I need to get around it somehow. I hope I don't get caught. It's got this negative kind of thing. But law, the word is, is Torah. And all it means is instruction. So it's the instruction of the Lord. 
which is instruction of the Lord, is basically anything God has said to us. Easy way for it be like the Bible. That's what it is. The law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. You notice that of the Lord. I like that of the Lord. You know, if you, you got to spend time focusing. But if you look in verse one, you, you see that that the heavens declare the glory of God. See the word God. It's 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 the Hebrew word L E L. It is the most generic, most ambiguous, biggest thirty thousand level name of of God. That's it. It appears in those first six verses one time. L God. It's like saying Mister God. Yeah. You know him through creation. You know he's big, but you don't know if he's really good because you also see tsunamis and tornadoes and stuff in creation. So. Yeah, I don't know if he's good or not. You, you can see he's big, but you really don't know if he's personal. But can I have a relationship with him? You know he's vast and creative, but you don't really know if he cares for you or not just by looking at creation. And so you need something more. Here, in seven different times, it says the law of the Lord or the commandments of the Lord or the testimony of the Lord. The word Lord is his personal name. We just sang of it. Yahweh. And you, you, seven times, if you know Hebrew numerology, seven is the number for completion, perfection. You see, you see what he's saying? If you want to know God personally, you want to know him by name. It's not Mr. God anymore. You know him by name. If you want relationship with him, the only way to get there is, is right here. You want to know God personally? This is, this is it. It says the law of the Lord is Perfect. That means complete. That means that means this. This is amazing. This is, is all we, we need. This is completely sufficient in our lives for being people who know our God. You don't need the Bible and something else to, to be complete. Now we think Bible's cool for little kids in Sunday school because you know they're little and it's and it's fun. But us, our lives are so much more complicated and sophisticated, and you know, yeah. I'm sure that if God looked at my life today, he'd look at his Bible and say, oh, I wish I would have put that in there. Oh, that's a huge, I don't know why I didn't address that. The law of the Lord is complete. God, God did not forget anything. He knows every single thing you've been, every single place you're going to be. His word is complete. It's in here. It's, it's in here. He says that it's, it's complete for reviving the soul. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew word is actually to repent, which is interesting. Repenting the soul. We won't get on that road much, but a nice synonym is, is transforming the soul. It's, it's changing us from the inside out. Soul, who we are on the inside, changing us. You know, I, I get upset. I don't show it very much, but I get upset when someone says, well, that's just the way I am. You know, doesn't that tick you off a little bit? You know, yeah, yeah, I'm, that's just the way I am. Like they're almost proud of their... Sin and garbage. And you say, you know what? Yes, you are ornery and cocky and arrogant and a gossip hound and, 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 and awful and self-absorbed. Yes, that's the way you are. But you don't have to stay that way. That's the whole idea of Jesus coming. Not so he could take your ornery cuss self to heaven one day, right? But so he could change you. That's the whole goal. Uh, to, to, he, this is how he transforms us. He, he takes a cold, hard Heart and makes it soft. He takes an angry person and makes them gentle. He takes a self-absorbed person and, and makes them generous. He, he takes a, a, a fearful person and, and makes them p- 
peaceful. This is what transforms us. Do you need any transformation these days? Oh man, oh man, oh man. By the end, this is so cool, isn't it? God's word, the plan to grow in godliness is really a plan in self-transformation. But he's the one that does it. And this is all we need to get there. All we need to get there. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. It's, 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 uh, when you come to know Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He's a master surgeon, right? But when you give him the word inside you, that's like giving the surgeon the scalpel. And allowing him to do his work. So the law of the Lord is perfect. It transforms us. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now this law, testimony, you, you understand this is poetry. These are all, all, all synonyms for his, his word, right? The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's, 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 it's trustworthy. It's, it's reliable. We can count on it. And this is how we can count on it to do what? We can count on it to do this. Make wise the simple. You know, in, in the, the Bible, especially in the wisdom literature, uh, the simple. Simple is not someone who says, you know, I don't care about God and I don't care about living for him. No, no, no. The, that We call that person the fool. The simple is one who is maybe interested. Yeah, yeah. But they're just clueless. You know, they're, they don't know. They're, 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 they're naive. They're morally wondering. Now, now don't, 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 don't miss this because uh, our lives, in which your life, and you, I don't have to tell you this, you know this, stuff that's coming at it so fast and so complex and so sophisticated and so morally ambiguous sometimes, and you look at it and you go, how in the world do you deal with this one? What is, how do you handle that? Oh my goodness. God knows the world we live in. And what's going to equip us to handle it is right here. We don't need something else to equip us to handle it. This, according to God, is what we need to equip us to handle it. Psalm uh, 119, written by a different guy, by the way. 98 to 100, he says this. Can you back up one, I think? Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, even if they're PhDs, right? For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. God's word equips us for life. It makes us uh, able to handle, to deal with life. It says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, the guy who wrote this, uh, King David, he was very familiar with pain. King David had a marriage go south. They were on different pages spiritually. You, ever, you know of anyone like this? Where, where uh, she was not supportive. She mocked him. It was just that kind of a, a thing. King David had a uh, baby die. King David had an older son murdered. King David had a daughter raped. King David had another son turn against him. He had all kinds of gossip spread about him. His reputation was destroyed. He had to run for his life. He knows about a big moral failure that he committed that hurt his family and hurt everybody else. Uh, David is somebody who's probably up for my life stinks man of the year. Now we think that, oh, he was the king. Life was great for him. If you really read about King David, it's like, 
painting palace going on in David's, David's life. He knew pain. And this is fascinating. Amongst all the painful stuff, he says that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, making joy. Listen, some people in life look for joy with their horizontal, right? With the horizontal. And if you, there are some things there that are good. You have a child that's wonderful. Then something bad happens to the child. That's not so wonderful. You get a job. Then you, you lose the job. And life goes like this. And if your joy is connected to just circumstantial, you're going to be going like this the whole time. And at the end, you need to know you're going like that. It's down. That's just, just the way it is. But David says, no, 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 no. There's a joy that's way beyond the circumstantial. You can, all the stuff he faced. That's in the vertical relationship with God. And as you're in his word, in a humble state, seeking him, you know what happens? You understand joy in a way you never could have imagined. Not related to the circumstances. In the midst of the circumstances. The word of God brings you. Jeremiah, if you know anything about Jeremiah, you know his, his ministry was not one to envy it really was not. His folk hated him. They mocked him. They humiliated him. They ended up um, torturing this poor guy, right? And yet Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. He says, your words were found, and I ate them. He had a need to, to feed. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. First John 1, 4. Look what, look what John says. He says, and we are writing these things to you, these things, so that your joy may be complete. The word of God brings about joy. And the if, scary thing for all of us is if we're not, if we don't have a plan to be in it regularly, we miss that, that joy we, we just do. He says that the uh, uh, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, it's interesting that, that uh, enlightening the eyes. We can say, well, it helps us see. Thy word, right, is a, is a lamp, light into my path, lamp into my path and a light into my way. Yeah, God's word helps us see. But I don't think that's what it means here. Um, if you ever looked into the eyes of someone who was really depressed, really discouraged. Life had just beat them up. They were in a pained, mournful, hurting, apathetic way. You can just see it in their eyes. They are, their eyes speak a ton. But have you ever looked into the eyes of someone who is just hyper excited and life is great and their eyes are dancing? And I think that's what it's referring to when our, our eyes are heavy, our, our life is heavy. The word of God brings about an enlivenment and excitement and exuberance. Let me ask you, are you worn out? Are, are you spiritually exhausted? You're just tired of working it. Maybe you're emotionally uh, empty. You, you need to know there's, there's a, a haven. There's, there's an oasis. And it's not when things get better, although I want things, everyone wants things better. That's okay. The, the haven is, is right here. And as we're, we're in God's word, he brings, he brings the ability to handle this, this, this life. He, he brings a transformation. He brings a joy. He brings an excitement and exuberance to life that we would not have otherwise. David recognizes that. And then verse 9, this is amazing to me because he changes gears a little bit here. 
says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Up to this point, he'd been talking about characteristics of the word of God. And suddenly here, he kind of changes and he talks about a characteristic of a person who is in the word of God. He says, you're in the word of God and you're being transformed and he's, he's equipping you and he's giving you his excitement. He's giving you his exuberance. And you know what happens is you, you become one who fears God. Now we struggle with that phrase a little bit, but as we're in scripture and we understand who God is and we understand that his rightful place, but we also understand through being in scripture that we've kind of elevated ourselves to the throne and it's all been about us. And so as we get off and as we put him back on in, in uh, submission, that is the fear of the Lord. You know, that is the same thing as worship. That is the same thing, get this, that's the same thing as godliness. If you want a plan for godliness, David spells out right here. As you are in his word, this is what God's word does. It makes us godly. That's what it does. He says that the fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. He says that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Basically, he's coming 360 here. He's, he's saying... God's word is all you need. It's the only correct direction manual for, for life. Lots of them out there. It's the only one that's, that's right. It's, it's, it's all that you need. And then because he understands the power of the word. Look, look at verse 10 and 11. His priorities shift, right? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. I don't think this is hyperbole. I mean, he's demonstrated this with his life. The, the uh, businessman, the woman who's going to, doesn't have time for scripture in the morning, but the first thing they go to is to check out the stock reports. They want to see how the markets are doing. It's just like the kid who chose the penny over the dime because the penny was bigger. You know, it's that, it's that mindset of they don't understand the value. To choose anything over the word of God is to not understand the value. This is not just chasing the money, the gold, the fine gold, the best stuff on earth. God's word is bigger than that. Not only that, but that which keeps me alive physically. That which keeps me alive physically and tastes really good. There's something that tastes even better. I have a need to feed. It's the word of God. And then look at verse 11. There's a shift that happens here. And it's a shift that's designed to happen for one who's in the word of God. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Notice he switched to to praying. God's word, correctly handled, always leads us to intimacy with him. That's the goal of it. That's the goal of it. It always leads us to being with him. into, Into prayer. And then look what he's praying, though. This is fascinating. Um, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. What's he talking about? Listen, is he not talking about his need to weed? Is directly tied to the need to feed. You see this? If you don't, if I just need to, if I'm going to go weed my garden without God's word, I might be pulling out stuff that's fine. I just had some legalists tell me it needed to go. I might be leaving stuff in that shouldn't be, but some person who's into licentiousness has told me that's fine. I need to be in God's word. And as I'm here, 
God's Holy Spirit can convict me well. I don't need someone else to do that. As I'm here, I see his values. I see stuff in my life that doesn't match that. The need to weed is directly tied to your need to feed. That's the whole goal, to make us more like him, not just reading once in a while. That's what we do. And then look at 14. I love this. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Here's part of the, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is part of the result of being God's word. Your words and your thoughts, if, 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 We are soaking in this word that transforms us, that equips us, that makes us wise, that that gives us joy, that enlightens us. If we're soaking in that, you know what? Your words and your meditations will be much more acceptable in his sight. And then look at this last line. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's like, this guy has grown. He's been in God's word. And at the end of it, he sees aspects of God maybe he didn't see before. He understands God as his person, right? As his, not just Mr. God, as his, his rock, his stability, his protection, his, his, his care, his future is as, as secure as, as God. It's his rock. But if he ever falls off the rock, if he ever struggles, God is his redeemer. God is one who cares for him. will bring him back and put him back on, on, on the rock. He understands things about God because he was in God's word. It's the goal of being in God's word. Now, as y'all, y'all know, uh, you will be, the board's already working on it, looking for a new senior pastor soon. And I know who you need. No one's asked me yet. See, but I know, and I can tell you right now who you need. Let me, let me read this. It says, fling him into his office. Tear the office sign from the door and nail on the sign, study. Take him off the mailing list. Lock him up with his books and his Bible. Slam him down on his knees before texts and broken hearts and lies of a flock and a holy God. Force him to be the one man in our communities who knows about God. Throw him into the ring to box with God until he learns how short his arms are. Engage him to wrestle with God all the night through and let him come out only when he's bruised and beaten into being a blessing. Shut his mouth forever spouting remarks and stop his tongue forever tripping lightly over every non-essential. Require him to have something to say before he dares break the silence. Bend his knees in the lonesome valley. Burn his eyes with weary study. Wreck his emotional poise with worry for God and make him exchange his pious stance for a humble walk with God and man. Make him spend and be spent for the glory of God. Burn up his ecclesiastical success sheets. Put water in his gas tank. Give him a Bible and tie him to the pulpit and make him preach the word of the living God. Test him, quiz him, examine him, humiliate him for his ignorance of things divine. Shame him for his good comprehension of finances and batting averages and political infighting. Laugh at his frustrated effort to play psychiatrist. Form a choir and raise a chant and haunt him with it night and day. Sir, we would see Jesus. And when at long last he dares to say the pulpit, ask him if he has a word from God. If he does not, then dismiss him. 
Tell him you can read the morning paper and digest the television commentaries and think through the day's superficial problems and manage the community's weary drives and bless the sordid baked potatoes and green beans better than he can. Command him not to come back until he's read and reread, written and rewritten, until he can stand up worn and forlorn and say, Thus saith the Lord, break him across the board of his ill-gotten popularity, smack him hard with his own prestige, corner him with questions about God, cover him with demands for celestial wisdom, and give him no escape until his back is against the wall of the word, and sit down before him and listen to the only word he has left, God's word. Let him be totally ignorant of the -the down-the-street gossip, but give him a chapter and order him to walk around it, camp on it, sup with it, and come at last to speak it backward and forward until all he says about it rings with the truth of eternity. And when he's burned out by the flaming word, when he's consumed at last by the fiery grace blazing through him, and when he's privileged to translate the truth of God to man, finally transferred from earth to heaven, then... Bear him away gently and blow a muted trumpet and lay him down softly. Place a two-edged sword on his coffin and raise the tomb triumphant. For he was a brave soldier of the word and ere he died, he had become a man of God. That's who you need. All the other aspects. There's lots of other hats the senior guy has to wear. Of all the other things, he's got he's to be so committed recognizing his own need to feed self. The need, I mean, your kid's future spiritually is dependent on this, right? At least partially. So the board recognizes this. They're, they're searching this, this route. So as FAC, this is uh, huge for us to be praying on. But now personally, I would say that this needs to be about us personally as well. The plan we develop for 2019, if it's going to be one where we we approach godliness, we gain more than we've got right now, it will incorporate a need to weed and a need to feed. Pray with me, would you? Thank you, God. Thank you for your word that you've given to us. And again, we don't have to tell you how often we neglect it or how we don't see it through your eyes. None of us in this room see it through your eyes. Would you take the blinders away, Lord? God, as we would struggle sometimes knowing that maybe it doesn't give us joy, would we push through until it gives so much that we can't hold back, that we we don't ever want to miss time with you and your word? I pray that, God, that as we are there as... FAC is there this coming year that we would reflect a a people who's been equipped by you, been transformed by you, who has a joy that this world just can't give, who understands a freshness that can come only from you, that we'd be worshipers. I would pray that that would be so. Lord, Lord, would we be people who obey you in every aspect, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, as we even take part of this offering now, thank you for the uh, opportunity to do that. Lord, you've, you've given us. May we give back in worship that you would be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen.